This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great Thank conversation. You. It's the Beating the Book podcast. Gil Alexander, once again, while the pandemic continues, just music for your ears in terms of the National Football League this weekend. From Michael Lombardi, who was kind enough to spend an hour with me this past week to talk all things NFL. Michael, the host of the Lombardi line at VSIN, got his own book. Gridiron Genius, his own podcast, the GM Shuffle that he does with Adnan Verk. We talk about everything, draft implications, what gives in the NFC, what about that DeAndre Hopkins trade, what's this notion of tanking that people are talking about with the New England Patriots, that and much more. All NFL, all show long. Michael Lombardi on the Beating the Book podcast. Enjoy. It's a numbers game with your host, Gil Alexander. One of those idiots who believe in analytics. Numbers game right here at Mason Vegas Stats and Information Network. Gil Alexander, glad you could join us this morning. Uh, it probably doesn't get much better than this. On the show today, Michael Lombardi to talk all things NFL with me. I have uh, stored a whole bunch of NFL questions for Michael. I haven't been able to chat with him uh, for a couple weeks now, uh, all throughout free agency. So we'll talk to Michael first this hour. But let us begin with a uh, VEASAN staple. He is the host of the Lombardi line, along with Patrick Maher, each and every Saturday, Sunday morning here on the network at Sirius XM Channel 204. Let's bring him in. It's our good friend, Michael Lombardi, host of the Lombardi line. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Gil. Hope you're doing well. I am doing well. How are, how are you? How's Millie? How's the family? How are your dogs? I hear barking in the background. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm going to shut my office door now. Uh, she can't help herself. Everybody is good. We're, uh, we are quarantined and healthy and just hopefully staying strong and getting through this. And we will, uh, we will uh, be resolved in that in terms of being able to get through this. 
Yeah, that goes for everybody, uh, both that visa and, of course, everybody listening, everybody uh, in the country, everybody in the world. Listen, I, I got it. You know, we, we texted about uh, getting you on the show, but you and I haven't had a chance to talk at all during free agency, during the first wave of this. So I just want to start. I have so many questions, Michael. So if you could just hang out, I, I'd love it. I'd appreciate it. The first question would be just a broad one, which is of all the things that have happened so far. What's and I heard you ask this of I believe Brian Baldinger and it's the same question I would pose to you. What's the single best thing you've seen happen? What's the most perplexing thing? Oh boy, you know uh, the best thing I've seen happen uh, for me, I, I think obviously would be the Eagles probably uh, signing Tony Hargrave, giving them a one technique. I'm a big believer in strength on strength, and the strength of the Eagles is their defensive line. I think that 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 signing there, that young man is he had six and a half sacks. He had twenty-eight quarterback pressures over his career. He's not gonna be a guy who's gonna rush the passer to that degree, but I do think he's gonna make an impact on Fletcher Cox. And I think as a team sport, that certainly is something that that I think really makes a difference. So, you know, I like that along with the Slay signing. I do like those two signings. I think Buffalo's trade of 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 uh for Stefan Diggs was really rich. However, that being said, Josh Allen's got to be able to throw the ball down the field. If he can throw it down the field more accurately last year, he was seven in his career. Excuse me, Gil. He was seven for 50 on throws over 30 yards and he's 21 for 76 on throws between 20 and 30. So to me that, and then I think what the saints have done this off season, I think has really strengthened their football team, getting Malcolm Jenkins, getting, getting uh, Emmanuel Sanders. Those are two big time players that play 16 games in 60 minutes. So I like that. The most perplexing thing. Uh, I mean, there's so many Vitae getting signed by the lions for 10 million a year. I'm not quite sure where that comes from. Uh, you know, the, 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 you can go through the giants franchising Leonard Williams, remarkable. The guy can't get pressure on the quarterback. He's a rundown player. You know, and I just think to me that that just adds up to, uh, you know, not very good. I mean, people could criticize the Texans for the trade of, of the Hopkins, but they've been trying to trade Hopkins since last summer. So that didn't surprise me. Uh, and then I think the other thing that's probably resonates more, and this isn't good or bad, is just that Jacksonville is clearly all in on Trevor Lawrence. All in on Trevor Lawrence, for sure. Okay, you mentioned the DeAndre Hopkins, Arizona-Houston trade. I want to bring this up because I want you to sort of educate me. And I know you have, you you know Bill O'Brien and you have, you know, you mentioned that about the salary. They don't want to pay him. Bill Barnwell, I'm sure you read this, did a great piece on ESPN.com about this trade. He grades every move that's made. And on this one in particular... Um, and I'll even quote some of what he said, you know, he said, instead of sending a third round pick to ship off Johnson, which he really believes is what a team, if they weren't dealing with Bill O'Brien, Bill Barnwell's opinion would have to do. They'd have to include a third round pick to ship off Johnson. The Cardinals somehow managed in Barnwell's words to, to ship him off by swapping fourth round picks. And in fact, 
the Cardinals probably got the better end of that fourth round swap. In fact, the, uh, the comparison he made, if I recall, was basically if someone offered you a thousand dollars, Michael, for your VH copy, a VHS copy of Mr. Deeds, and you had the nerve to ask that person for more before saying yes. Uh, that's how bad he thought just that part of the deal was. Not even the Hopkins part, just the unloading of David Johnson part. And then he goes on to say, and, and then Hopkins for the 40th pick in the draft, he thought it was the worst thing he's ever seen. Why, in your opinion, and just to clarify it for me and for others, is it not that in your opinion? Well, because look, you know, I don't, I don't read Bill. You know, I don't think Bill's ever made a trade. I mean, I could be wrong. Maybe he has made trades in the NFL. Before. <laughs> Pretty uh, sure not. You know, yes. I don't know. I, uh, you know, he can sit in his basement and critique everybody's trades, but when you're trying to trade somebody for a long time and somebody's been available, then obviously I think that you are uh, going to take what you feel like is the best deal. I, I don't want to, you know, it, what, last year everybody was ripping Bill for trading Clowney. And now look, Clowney can't get a deal. You know, Clowney can't get a deal. Everybody rips Bill and all Bill does is win the South. You know, he can't I mean, he won a playoff game, won the South, you know, is it perfect? No, of course not. Is he, is he making great moves? No, but I think here in line of, they want to sign Tunsil. They want to sign the Sean Watson. Plus I really don't think anybody knows what's going on in that locker room. I don't think anybody really understands where the dynamics are in the locker room. I think the David Johnson deal is, is certainly a risk considering his injury history, but he is a good player. They take on that contract. They got plenty of cap room to take on the contract. I mean, if you're going to critique cap room and contracts, the Browns, who everybody loves because they're analytical, I mean, they have some of the highest. <laughs> I mean, I thought analytics, I thought analytics was going to allow you to buy players at a reduced number, not pay the top number for all. I mean, seriously, Hooper for the for the uh, to make him the highest paid tight end. I mean, if you had to give you five tight ends, would you have him as the highest paid in the league? Of course you would. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And so, you know, it, Bill is just easy to pick on, you know, and no one, you know, in Cleveland, because their analytics, which is in favor of some of these people that write, you know, then, you know, it, it's okay. It, it, you know, that deal, I mean, that deal to me is really a rich deal. I and mean, when you look at it, the Jack Conklin deal, Jack Conklin can't pass protect. I mean, that's, that's just a fact. He's not a very good pass protector. And they run a play action pass offense in Tennessee to build around it. And then you make him one of the highest paid tackles in football, and he's not a great pass protector. But see, we don't that that's not that narrative isn't popular. That narrative isn't popular because it doesn't attack Bill O'Brien. I'm not saying Bill O'Brien's uh, a perfect, and certainly, and I don't talk to Bill O'Brien very often. And if I do, I don't. Have, we talk about family and his son and things like that. I just think, to me, when you're critiquing trades and you've never made one or you don't understand the dynamics of how to make one or what's going on, I think it leaves you some room for error. Michael Lombardi, our guest, kind enough to join us this hour right here on a numbers game at VEASAN, the Sports Betting Network, all brought to you by the BetMGM app. By the way, if you want to follow Michael on Twitter, it's at MLombardiNFL, author of Gridiron Genius, has his own podcast, GM Shuffle, that he does with Adnan Verk, which is just, by the way, Michael, if I haven't told you recently, a spectacular listen. I enjoy cursing. That's a big plus. I like that. <laughs> Um, well, so I, mean, I don't know if you're, it just, it, it, you get your emotions take over of you. And then when you see guys like, you know, like if you want to pick on somebody, like let's go to David Caldwell down in Jacksonville, 
I mean, here's a guy who's been working since 2013. He's had one winning season. They've never had a compensatory pick ever. They have no quarterback. They have more top five picks that are, they ever reached a second contract. I mean, there's plenty to pick on. But when you pick on a guy who's won, just won the North, you know, and you don't understand really what's going on in the locker room. You do, you, you know, do you think anybody really knows who is Hopkins, who he is? Do you think anybody really knows him? You know, it's a little bit like what I wrote about Brady. You know, everybody has theories on Brady. Everybody wants to pinpoint why Brady left. And really, unless you've been in that locker room in New England, unless you understand the dynamics of the building in New England, anything you write or say is purely speculation. It's purely speculation because really the reason Brady left was what I wrote about yesterday for the athletic. It's about longevity. It's about the constant going back to 2001 and starting all over again. And that tires people out. And it's not because you're tired of, of doing it. It just, it wears on. And I think that that's what the part of the missing element is. And I'm not trying to pretend I'm Mr. Know-it-all because I was in the league. I'm just trying to let people understand there's way more to every story than what you're reading on a paper. Yeah. Well, you, you've been in the room where it happens as, as the great musical Hamilton uh, famously uh, says. And, and I think, you know, I've said it about on field stuff. It's one thing to speculate on off field stuff, which again, we can prattle on about. And those of us who have never played the game or been in the room uh, making decisions can do that. I, I always say what you just said about X's and O's unless we, we don't even have all 22 footage. So, you know, I give the famous Chris Cooley story to your point, which I've, which I've said many times, Chris Cooley, who had just played with the Redskins had one off season away from them, then had a radio gig in DC and immediately told his co-host guys, I was in there. I was in there for, for seven seasons. I have no idea what they're doing now. So to your point, I mean, I get it. Um, and it's, and I'll go with what you say. That's why we have you on here. You bring up Tom Brady, Michael, um, Apparently, when I was away, Tom Brady switched teams, signed with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. <laughs> um, I want to, I want to, I want to just bring this up with you, and I want to just sort of listen. Maybe it's this simple, and I just sort of want to bounce it off you. Seems like at the end for Brady, it came down to the Buccaneers and the Chargers. Those were the only two teams that seemed willing to pay him market value. Is it reasonable? Reasonable to speculate that had the Chargers had, follow me here a head coach that Brady, I don't know, would respect in the way he respects, say, Josh McDaniels. I'm speculating. Um, and not one who you and I and all of us have sort of criticized a lot uh, week to week in the NFL and Anthony Lynn, who's a great guy, but maybe not the coach that, say, a Josh McDaniels is. Is it reasonable to speculate that it came down to just that? Um, and that in the end, you know, because when you look at the Chargers, Man, it seems like as soon as they got rid of, as soon as Philip Rivers went away, they picked up Chris Harris Jr. They got two great offensive linemen. It's just been a boon for them. Is it? Could it have been just that simple? I guess is the question. You know, no, I don't. I think the reason Tampa won is because Tampa is a two-hour flight for Brady to get to New York to see his son. I think that was one of the boxes Brady really wanted to check on. I think that was important. I think he would have, if he went to the West Coast, he would have liked it to have been San Francisco. They decided they weren't interested. Yeah. But I think anything outside of San Francisco, his hometown, I think the West Coast was really not in play. And I think he wanted to be close to home 
He wanted to be able to get in an airplane Sunday after a game, fly to New York, spend some time with his son, fly back to work on Wednesday morning, on Thursday or Tuesday morning, whenever he had to be back at work and go from there. Uh, Yesterday, my Washington Redskins, Michael, grew up born and raised in Washington, D.C., uh, they pick up Kyle Allen from the Carolina Panthers, a reuniting uh, with Ron Rivera, obviously. In your opinion, now it's Dwayne Haskins, Kyle Allen. That's Those are the quarterbacks on the Redskins roster. Does that put the Tua chatter uh, to bed for the Redskins at number two, or does that not mean that? I don't know. I think this is what it means. I think it means that Scott Turner, the offensive coordinator, in Carolina, in, in Washington, really likes Kyle Allen. And he has always liked Kyle Allen. I think he was against trying to play Will Greer last year. I think he sees Kyle Allen as more upside. I think the, the reality is, and I don't want to say this for Scott Turner, but there is parts that, that when Cam Newton's not healthy with the ankle and all the things to run an offense, I think he felt better with Kyle Allen running the offense than Cam. Now, I'm not saying he thinks Kyle Allen's a better player than Cam, just saying in terms of all the things that add up. So therefore, you know, I could see Kyle Allen, and I think Kyle Allen will be the sneaky guy to sneak up on uh, on on Dwayne Haskins. I think that's the perfect guy to sign. It's a little bit like Kirk Cousins. We bring him in, nobody really knows. We drafted him in the fourth round, even though we drafted RG3. Here we go. And I think that they would be done at quarterback. I mean, why would they you know, why would they take an injured player? And I'm not sure anyone, including the medical staff, can can validate to his injury or predict how long he's going to stay uninjured for the rest of his career. I think if I'm the Redskins, I am taking the surefire thing, whether it's Chase Young, whether it's Isaiah Simmons, I'm taking a player that I know I'm going to get 10 years out. Yeah, you, you're saying so many things that I'm sort of mentally jotting down notes because I'm going to get back to them. Um, before we get back to Tua, because there's a lot I want to ask about that, especially in this very strange year where no OTAs will happen, training camp might be truncated. I'll, I'll get back to that. I'll bookmark that. Let's get back to the Chargers for a second, if you will, and forgive the sort of bouncing around. Just mentioned Philip Rivers going out, Chargers failing to land Tom Brady. They're opening a new stadium, as we've talked about so many times, uh, with much fanfare. They really going to open the season with Tyrod Taylor behind center, you think? Yeah, I do. I really do. I think they feel like he'll protect the football. I think they're going to try to protect the football, run it. I think that they're going to use their their, their skill players, which they have a lot of, to uh, to to create a situation to rely on their defense. Now, will they hold up? Yeah, I think they can. And will he play well? You know, I think it's going to come down to some key games. Can he go into Kansas City and beat Patrick Mahomes? You know, that, that worries me. You know, I'm with you on, on that. I, I don't know. To me, if I were them, I would sign Jameis Winston. And I'm a, and I'm a huge, huge uh, critic of Jameis Winston. I've been very critical of his inability to protect the football, but he's thrown for 5,000 yards. Now, yeah. it makes no sense to sign Jameis Winston if all you care about is protecting the football. And that's what Anthony Lynn's talking about, just protecting. And Tyrod Taylor actually pretty historical in his ability in his ability to protect the uh, ball over his uh, 
short sample size, relatively speaking, career. And by the way, I'm not anti-Tyrod Taylor. I actually like Tyrod Taylor. I'm just saying with the new stadium, if they're looking to make that proverbial splash that we've talked about so often, is that really the guy they're going to go with? And, and you seem to think, yeah, that is their guy. I think they have no choice. I think that, look, let's face it. I mean, the Rams, I mean, what's who's going to the, you know, what's the splash for the Rams? <laughs> you think people are just, just can't wait to go in that stadium to watch Jared Goff? I mean, it's a bit of a belly flop. Early. Like, yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, so yeah. I think winning is going to bring people out. That's the only way you could think of. Uh, you brought up Emmanuel Sanders going to the Saints, which I think everyone agrees. Consensus. Huge move goes, you know, he's going to be a number two behind Michael Thomas in New Orleans. But imagine that a number two, a player who meant so much to the Niners in the second half of the season last year. Were you surprised that the Niners didn't put up more of a fight in keeping him? Yeah, I was. But I think the Niners, you know, when you look at it, Gil, they're worried about their cap situation. I mean, you know, they've got some issues that they've got to handle. And I think ultimately they've got, they had to come up with a way to where they're going to have to rely a little bit on the draft. You can't pay for everything. You know, and you can't buy everything. And last year, you know, right now, when you look at it, the 49ers, you know, they're they're looking here at uh, one second here. So they've got 15 million of cap room, plus they have two first round picks. So I think that gets them in shape to where they can keep going with their cap, maybe extend some players. But you know, you you go ahead and sign, you go ahead and sign Emmanuel Sanders, and you still have two first round picks. Now all of a sudden, it gets a little hairy. Look. Let, let's just say this, the Raiders, what did they start out with about $70 million worth of cap room? Yeah. You know, roughly. now they're down to $6.4 million, $6 million worth of cap room and 6.4 million worth of cap room. They only had 3.2 million of dead money. So they've done a good job of managing their cap. My question to you, Gil, is are the Raiders any better after spending all that money? Oh, I got questions about them too, Michael. Seriously, like I have to do a show within a show when I talk to you because it's immediate stream of consciousness. Real quick here before we, we squeeze in a break. Uh, Patriots released Steven Gostkowski yesterday, uh, who once upon a time they had spent franchise tags on. What do you make of that? Any any broader meeting to that? Does he follow Vinatieri to Indy? Yeah, what happens? I think they're, they're in serious cap trouble. Well, look, they took a huge cap hit. It cost them $3.2 million to cut them. The Patriots now have... $25 million, $26 million of dead money on their cap. $26 million, that's unlike them. You know, that's really unlike them. And most of it is from, well, some of it's from Antonio Brown. Some of it's from, some of it's from, uh, 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 most of it's from Tom Brady, but Guskowski and T Antonio Brown make up another part. They're the third most de dead money in the league behind the Panthers and the Jaguars. The Jaguars, aren't they beautiful? They got Michael, let me, let me, let me step in. Hold, hold that thought about the Jaguars. Got a whole bunch more to ask you about the draft and what this offseason is going to mean, who it favors coming back on Visa, the Sports Betting Network. Welcome back to A Numbers Game with Gil Alexander. Back to the Numbers Game right here with Sports Betting Analytics Live, actionable sports betting information. Though it is a strange, surreal sci-fi time in our uh, existence, so not a whole bunch of actionable, actionable stuff, I should say. But always fascinating to talk about the NFL with Michael Lombardi, host of the Lombardi Line here at Veasan. Weekend mornings, Saturday and Sunday, six to nine Pacific, nine to noon Eastern. Um, 
and so many things to discuss when thinking about and hoping that the NFL season will start on time whenever it does start. Uh, first things, most important thing I could possibly ask you about here, Michael, can we flash up that new Los Angeles Chargers logo that they unveiled yesterday, Jacob, if we could. Um, Michael, your thoughts. You know, I'm an old school guy. I, 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 I'm a big believer in the uniform of great players should always stay. I mean, Deacon Jones, Jack Youngblood, you know, those players in that blue and white uh, with the all white and the all blue. I, I just am always, I'm always going to be craving those uniforms. I think that those are, I, I don't, I, I, people say, well, you got to change your uniform. It helps. Well, it doesn't seem to matter to the to the Celtics. Doesn't matter to the Yankees. You know, doesn't matter to the Raiders. You know, the Raiders change the name of their team. They don't change the color of the uniform. So, for me, I, I'm a, I'm I'm old school that way. I love it. I, I love the 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 old school uniforms. So the new ones to me are just at least they're not what I would call world league like, which is those just ridiculous <laughs> like, like the XFL uniforms. Yeah. By the way, I said, obviously I said chargers. I meant the Rams new logo, which looks to me a little too close to the chargers logo and kind of looks like, uh, an action three news logo from like the movie Anchorman more than anything to me. I'm not really fond of it, but we'll see if I want, I'm with you. I'm old school. I thought the Rams had one of the most iconic logos in all the NFL. So I guess they wanted to change it with the new stadium. Um, here's probably the, the number one question I wanted to ask you today. Maybe I've got a lot, but number one, I think might be this, um, a lot of sort of conventional wisdom, again, buzz in the media world now that new England Patriots, and they invoke the word tank that bill Belichick's going to this one year tank mode to get Trevor Lawrence or whatever the big prize is. And Trevor Lawrence is usually the guy that they're focused on. There's some talks about some other quarterbacks that are in the league currently, but it's usually a tank for Trevor kind of uh, theme. Can you please put this to bed knowing bill Belichick as you do? Oh my God. I mean, this is the most, that's ridiculous. I mean, I've heard so many ridiculous things. The other day, somebody was trading the Eagles. It was saying the Eagles were trading for Julio Jones. I mean, that was a rumor going around. I mean, it's just some of the bad rumors that are happening. I mean, Brady to the Cowboys, that was one of the leaders in the clubhouse, but I can promise you unequivocally that the Patriots will do nothing but try to win every single game on their schedule next year, with every single ounce of energy they have. Yeah, there's just there's just no way. There's no way. I mean, and, and it, it's it's fascinating to see people throw that around. It's like, what in the history of Bill Belichick makes you think in any way that guy would be capable of even getting in that mindset? Uh, that's one of the most ridiculous ones. I I, I figured you would uh, have a similar opinion on that. You mentioned the Raiders, obviously, in the last segment. Um, let me just throw these in before another break. Um, Marcus Mariota. You really think that's sort of the, the the splash that Las Vegas Raiders fans were hoping for? I mean, they're, you know, it's funny. They're carrying five quarterbacks on their team, I'm sure. Well, McLennan's a free agent, so there's four. But they gave them really a one-year contract deal. You get a $7.5 million guaranteed one-year contract. The Raiders, in a smart way, now have a, a second year at $10 million. So say Mariota comes in as a great year, they won't be stuck like with the Tannehill situation. But no, I don't. I don't think he has the arm strength, but look, Gruden is obsessed with finding a, a quarterback that can make an, a play within a play. He's tired of Carr going back there that's not open and then throws the ball out of bounds. 
or just, you know, takes a bat, you know, doesn't do what he needs to do. And maybe Mariota's athleticism will appeal to him. But I can promise you this. They had these two guys, Derek Carr, Marcus Mariota, are just wonderful guys. However, in terms of their leadership skills, in terms of their toughness and grit, everything Gruden wants in a quarterback, in terms of them being as close to Rich Gannon as possible, these two are probably the antithesis of that. There's no chance. Yeah. It's an interesting play. Uh, hang out if you could, Michael, because uh, we've got short break here. Um, I want to ask you probably the most actionable questions, which is, this is going to be a very strange offseason, obviously already is. It's going to continue to be odd. And I want to sort of get at what teams that might be an advantage for, what teams it might be a disadvantage for. Get your thoughts on that. And then get your thoughts on some of these draft prospects what your opinions are of them, who you think's overrated, who you think's underrated. We'll come back. It's a numbers game right here at VSIN with the great Michael Lombardi. Welcome back to a numbers game with Gil Alexander. Back on the numbers game. It is Gil Alexander right here at VSIN, the sports betting network. Michael Lombardi, host of the Lombardi line. Uh, also the GM shuffle podcast with his buddy, Adnan Verk. Great listen uh, each and every week. And of course, the book is the GM Shuffle at M Lombardi NFL. You want to follow Michael on Twitter, and you should, by the way. Uh, Michael, okay. Given the lack of team organized activities, uh, is it even more so than ever? Um, the teams with a great culture, a top head coach, uh, that you would say would be at an advantage when things resume more so than in any other year because of the nature of this offseason. Can you see some coaches uh, being inventive during this time? Are there any specific coaches teams? And I'll give you the, the ones that I'm thinking of that you think will have an advantage when things resume. So for me, the NFC East, the Eagles, the continuity of Doug Peterson and Jim Schwartz, they've been together for five years there in Philly, which is amazing to think that they've been there for five years. Every other team in the NFC East, if I'm not mistaken, if I'm not mistaken, Cowboys, Giants, Redskins off the top of my head, new head coach, new coordinators. I think um, the Saints who you just referred to Drew Brees, never going to retire. And it's Sean Payton and Drew Brees once again. Are the, is that true? Is that premise true in your opinion that this year more than any teams like that have an advantage, more distinct advantage? Yeah, I, I think that the teams that are going to have the hardest time are the teams that need their 2019 draft to really come through. And, and those are the, the team, those players in that 19 draft, the ones that have redshirted last year, the ones that kind of didn't play a lot, that need to really take that giant mother may I step forward. Those are the guys that are going to suffer and always as the case, like, for example, when you have a new coach and an existing quarterback, it's like having new everywhere. So the Browns and, and, you know, the Patriots now, even though, you know, Jarrett Stidham was there last year, it will be a new offense. So those are the kind of kinks to work out. And I think the other factor is, and I would look this completely is, is whose offensive line comes back intact. That's going to be the key. Because if you can, like the Titans losing, even though I don't think uh, Jack Conklin's a great player, they, they're going to have to replace some of their offensive line. The Colts, for example, won't have to replace any linemen. They got Costanza. Those are the kind of teams, to me, that I would say have an advantage going forward. The Raiders, they get their whole offensive line back. The Ravens, even though they lose uh, Yanda, they'll get that basically four of the five are back. That, to me, is the key, is if you get that back, then, you know, you got a chance to start to hit the ground running pretty well. 
I know you're not a, uh, a draft Nick necessarily like Mel Kuyper or Todd McShay or anybody like that who uh, makes their whole living doing that. But from what you have observed, um, I don't know if you need to list five for us, but who are your favorite guys that you've seen on film coming out for whenever the 2020 NFL draft will take place, which right now is scheduled to take place uh, at the end of April, although not in Las Vegas. You know, one of, one of my favorite guys is Isaiah Simmons from Clemson. I think he's dynamic, obviously, because he can, he can, can affect the game on three levels, which I think you absolutely have to be able to do. You've got to be able to affect the game on those levels. If you can't, then all of a sudden it becomes a real problem. And he can attack the pocket. He can play with great. He can play with, he can rush the passer, you know, and he can play with, with, with uh, the ability to play the run sideline to side. And he's an excellent tackler. So when you add all that together, here you get a, da- a linebacker that you don't have to worry about taking off the field. And then I think for me, it always goes back to most people want to go to the receivers. You know, I think you got to go to the offensive lineman, Andrew Thomas from Georgia, Jarek Willis, you know, from Iowa. Uh, I think, and then you go to, I mean, Tristan Wiffs from Iowa, you, you know, you've got to look at you, you uh, and then the Alabama kid Willis, I, I think. And then, you know, Beckton from Louisville, there's four legitimate, four legitimate left tackles in the NFL that could play left tackle. That's really significant when you get into that. The defensive line, for example, isn't nearly to the level of where of where that is. I mean, when you look, when you just break down the defensive line, you're like, okay, look, you know, Derek Brown's tremendous, but after Brown, you got Kinlaw, who I think the 49ers think they could get at 13, but I don't think yeah. he'll be there at 13. Then there's a drop. Then there's a drop. See, the draft for me, Gil, is always about finding players that you can't find in free agency. How do we do that? It's hard to find left tackles on the street. It's hard to find inside defensive tackles that can pass rush. It's hard to find Mike linebackers that can play on all three downs. And if you can do that in, in the draft, you better take them. So, you know, that begs a question also, and this is the draft is a game. We talk about this, you and I, I'm sure you talk about it with others too. It, it's a game and there's some teams that get that. There's some teams that don't get that. And so to, to your point, or at least following up on that point, Okuda at number three to Detroit. I get it. They want to replace Darius Slay, but isn't that a pick? Isn't that a guy they could get at six or seven? Like, isn't that someone they could make a trade down for and still get? Well, I mean, they could pick Okuda at three, but they still can't rush the passer. Like, what good does having coverage guys if you can't rush? You know, it's hard just to play coverage. It's hard to play coverage. You got to find somebody, they got to find somebody in their defensive front, you know, that can really take over the game. And, you know, and they tried to do it last year. Trey flowers is a really good player. We drafted him in new England and I like Trey flowers, but Trey flowers needs some help on the other side. You know, Danny Shelton's not going to be on the field when the game goes to pass, you know, who else is going to rush the passer. They need somebody else that can rush the passer, you know, and for me, you know, Derek Brown would be a much better player for them. You put him inside so he can get the paint than try to add another corner. I mean, right now they signed Trufant. They got Justin Coleman, who they spent a lot of money on last year. So they've got two corners. And now they've got to find an inside penetrating defensive tackle that can dominate the game. And, and if I were picking there, I'd pick Derek Brown. I wouldn't even hesitate. I'm always fascinated by teams that that 
draft and, you know, people were killing the giants, for instance, for drafting Daniel Jones last year as, as high as they did at number six. And I remember saying very clearly on the show, listen, none of us know if he's going to be good or not, by the way, turned out to be pretty good his first year in the NFL, but people were killing it. Uh, people were killing the pick of Daniel Jones. And I was very clear to say it's, if you don't know how good he's going to be, it's the fact that they might've been able to get him later, right? It's the game theory of the draft that can be criticized. And again, I'm just always fascinated by teams, um, that make strange picks, not having any idea if that pick's actually going to be good or not in the end, you get what I'm getting at. Yeah, no, and I think this. Here's my issue with Daniel Jones. If he were in this draft, where would he go? Where would he go? Is he better than Justin Herbert? Is he better than Tua? Is he better than Burrow? Is he better than Jordan Love? And here's what I never want to be able to do. I don't want the next year's draft class to be better than the player I picked. I want that guy to last forever. I'm not sure unless Michael, Michael, sorry to step in. Sorry to step in and interrupt. I do apologize. We'll come right back. We will pick up right there. Got a whole bunch more from Michael Lombardi right here on a numbers game. at Welcome back to a numbers game with Gil Alexander. Back in on a numbers game. Gil Alexander live from San Francisco this morning. Michael Lombardi on the East coast. Michael, uh, I'm sorry. You were rudely interrupted. I think you were making a great point about Daniel Jones and the quarterbacks available the next year. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I'm just saying that I think that, it, you know, in every draft class, you have to look towards the future, you know, like, is this guy going to be better? Frankly, is, is, is Daniel Jones better than Saquon Barkley? Is Daniel Jones better than uh, Sam Darnold? I mean, Sam Darnold's better than Daniel Jones. I mean, he turns the ball over, but he's got more natural skill. You know, I, Saquon Barkley can't pass protect. I mean, they just signed Deion Lewis yesterday at the Giants because they got to have somebody on third down that they can put in the game that they can count on it. If the young man doesn't change how he protects the passer, he's not going to play a lot. And so I think that's how you have to look at that today. Just, just a little update here. Adam Schefter just reported on Twitter, Cam Newton will get released, which means that, you know, the Panthers will pick up $16 million basically of cap room and we'll see where Cam's going to go. Now Cam's out there, you know, why wouldn't the Chargers sign Cam Newton? if they could get him for a physical and take care of, him. I mean, to me, it, that makes too much sense. Yeah. Well, just, it just, I mean, it drives home the point how you can be on the top of the world. I mean, Cam Newton was in a super bowl, you know, a minute ago and now released just so, you know, an amazing league in terms of, uh, being uh, to the highest mountain and the, uh, the lowest Valley. Uh, I asked you about the players you like in the draft. Can you give me a name of someone who you think might be a little overhyped right now? Well, I think all these receivers are overhyped. I definitely think that, that, you know, I think that what happens is I think that's why you're seeing teams dump the receiver market. You know, I think they're dumping these high price receivers because they know down the road, they're going to end up getting a guy, you know, later in the draft, whether it's Denzel Mims in the second round, who may be just as good, if not as some of the guys that may people think are going to go early. So there is depth in that wide receiver draft. And I think that that's going to play a huge role in that. Uh, you know, I, I think there's no doubt that, you know, as you go through it, there's a lot more value in the draft. I mean, I mean, I love the safety from LSU Desper, you know, I, I think he's outstanding. And, you know, when you break down the cornerback situation, you know, it, it always for me is, is I, I always want a guy that I know can play man to man that I know can go out there and handle things. And, and you know, like CJ Henderson from Florida, I think he's an outstanding player as well. 
Um, Mike, I want to ask you about the, the draft in general. Again, it gets back to the quirky offseason we're having. How do you think the draft itself is going to be affected um, by what's happening in the world? No pro days, no physicals. Um, are teams going to rely on just tape? Do you think maybe bigger names, school brands have more an advantage in this draft because of what's going on? Specifically, the guy that I'm thinking about, too, with, with no physicals and no pro days, even though I saw some video of him yesterday, is obviously Tua. Um, yeah. Does it change for him because of this? I don't know when that video was taken, Gil. I, I yeah. don't know when that was taken. You know? He looked and good, so, though, didn't he? Uh, I saw that, too. Yeah, I, I saw that. But, you know, the medical Nose. has got to have to come through. I think it's going to be challenging. Look, a lot of corners didn't run short shuttles at the combine. A lot of corners didn't run their 40 at the combine. You know, corner workouts, something you really have to get your hands around. you got to go work a corner out. you got to go work receivers out, too, even though they do drills at the combine. I mean, you, you got to work them out because so often receivers in college never face press coverage, right? So they, you don't know how well they're going to react when a guy lines up over top of them. So you'd like to go work them out and really get them through your route tree, not that stupid route tree they run at the combine. So, you know, this is really going to hinder a lot of kids. It's going to, and the smaller school kids, like, for example, you know, Northwestern always has a pro day, which people say, well, that's no big deal. It's just Northwestern. But Northwestern's <laughs> pro day has a bunch of small Illinois schools that come work there. And it really is one of the best pro days to go to because you're getting a lot of players to watch work out. And, uh, you know, not having that, trying to find that diamond in the rough is going to be even harder. Jacob, if you could, could you throw up that tweet there? This is from, I believe, a gentleman on the Redskins medical staff just sort of requesting at this point um, that physicals and and the normal operations don't happen in the National Football League this offseason because of COVID-19. There it is, Dr. Uh, Anthony Casalaro, co-head physician for the Redskins, president of the NFL Physician Society, sending a letter to the NFLPA basically uh, NFL-related physicals until the health crisis has passed. Quote, medical resources should focus on those who are ill or in need of care. Just strange times. That's from Ian Rappaport, of course, uh, at Rap Sheet. Uh, if you had to guess, Michael, right now, where does Tua go? Where does Justin Herbert go from Oregon? I think I, I think Herbert's going to go early. I think top six. I think that Tua, if he's healthy, mm-hmm. will go in the top. I think people are concerned about the medical, but if he's healthy, he will go early. Uh, I could see Detroit trading out of three and moving down and let somebody pick a quarterback there. It wouldn't surprise me. Although if I were Detroit, I would seriously consider picking a quarterback as well. If I thought he was a generational player. So, uh, you know, just looking at the draft as a whole, you know, and then the loves the wild card, where does he go? There's a lot of this, this, you know, Mel Kuyper and Todd, they have disagreements on where he's going to go. I'm hearing he is going in the first round. And, you know, that could be something that I think when you look at it, uh, you know, when you look at it, you say, oh, wow, that, that, you know, that there's, you know, that's three quarterbacks in the top 10. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if there were three quarterbacks, at least in the top 15. It's amazing. I mean, you know, better than anybody, the, these, these teams go quarterback crazy. Every draft is a quarterback league. So in some respects it's justified. Um, but I don't know that I watched Jordan love and thought to myself that there would be a frenzy about him come draft day. But then I would have probably also finished the sentence by saying, but it's the draft. So these things happen with quarterbacks. Um, final couple yeah, of things. I mean, he's got great Mike. size yeah, go skill. You know, he's got great, he's got great size skill. He played better as a junior. You know, he can do some, he's got an incredible arm. 
Uh, he's very talented. Is he a great quarterback? No, but he's a great athlete with a great arm. And I think those are two things that always, you know, that always go together. Yeah. Great arm. No doubt about that. Um, Talking to Michael Lombardi, of course, uh, host of Lombardi Line here at VEASAN. Gil Alexander from San Francisco here on the Sports Betting Network. All right. So in recent years or in recent history, um, obviously the AFC has had maybe the two or three best teams in the league. The NFC has had sort of broader talent. You look at the NFC now. And Michael, tell me if I'm wrong here. The Saints, the Niners, those rosters are loaded. Uh, Seattle still has Russell Wilson. They're always going to be an issue. Green Bay was in the NFC title game. Minnesota, perennial playoff team. Cowboys are loaded, actually have a coach now. Uh, Atlanta should be better. Um, Chicago will be better. We could talk about that another time with Nick Foles. Uh, Arizona's got DeAndre Hopkins, as we mentioned, beefed up their offensive line. And, of course, Tom Brady's on the Buccaneers. The NFC feels very top-heavy. Something's got to give there. Who's not as good as I'm making them out to be? I think Minnesota's taken a little bit of a step back. Now, you know, they obviously have more draft picks, so we'll see what, what happens. But, you know, to me, their, their offensive line last year wasn't very good, and, and it became a problem you know, especially at right guard where Josh Klein played inside. Now, you know, Barbary and Eflin, they've got to play better. A lot of pressure on the receivers because they lose a big time outside receiver that really helped, you know, Thielen. And Thielen's a really good player. I think Dalvin Cook and Madison were really good. But I think I think my bigger concern is defensively with the Vikings. How good can they be? Where are their corner help coming from? You know, Mike Zimmer needs corners. He didn't have them last year. And I think we saw that come when they played against the good teams. He's got to find another pass rusher to go along with Daniel Hunter. I mean, look, whoever signs, wh- whoever signs Everson Griffin is going to get one hell of a player because he played really good for him last year. So I'm not sure how good Minnesota is. I'm worried about that. You know, I'm worried about their overall depth in, in terms of where they're going to come into, uh, you know, like, can they turn this corner? Will they be good enough to, 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 to maintain the same level? Michael, I leave you with this, and I'm not asking you to predict how long the uh, the global pandemic will last and its effect on sports. Um, I wouldn't ask you that. But of your knowledge, uh, of your instinct with a guy like Roger Goodell and the NFL establishment, how how sort of uh, I'll say what's their what's their emphasis on doing things as normally as possible? In other words, would you put the favorite if this lasts for a couple more months? Do you think they try to just go as straight as possible? Do you think they try to do things without fans, maybe start the season without fans? What's your instinct on what their thinking would be? I would say their instincts would be to cancel everything until training camp. I think the most important thing that they're probably thinking is training camp. Let's get to training camp and let's get to July. And if we can get to July, then we can have a normal season. And and if we can get to July and the pandemic is kind of under control, then we can have a normal season. July, it gives us an opportunity and maybe, you know, open up, open up OTA days after the 1st of July and have people, you know, bring the players back in and get that. To me, I think they're really, they're going to forego any OTA days in exchange for making sure we can go in July. Michael, I thank you. What are you doing the rest of the day? What are you reading? What are you watching? What's your activity? Well, I got a lot of work to do. I'm working on my next book, which obviously I think I really need to write. And I'm doing, been doing a lot of research on that. And, 
you know, and I'm just going to spend most of my day researching and, and quarantining myself in this house and watching the college players in the afternoon. Any any hints on on a subject specifically about the book, or you rather keep yeah, that yeah. to yourself? Yeah, yeah. I mean, my the book. The, no, my book is going to be about why certain people could see the non-obvious and others can't. Why Ooh. the secret, as Marcus Aurelius says, the secret to all victory lies in the organization of the non-obvious. And who sees that non-obvious always figures out how to win. Michael. I can't thank you enough. I appreciate it. At M Lombardi NFL, host of the Lombardi line, along with Patrick Maher right here at Visa. Thank you, Michael. Stay safe, my friend. Thanks, Gil. Bye-bye. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. 